You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm here to help you up-level every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at christinaricewellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. You might remember almost 200 episodes ago when I had the incredible Melissa Ambrosini on the show. That was episode 118. And that episode has remained one of my most popular episodes. Melissa is incredible. And Today, I am chatting with her husband, Nick Broadhurst. I'm sure many of you know Nick as well. They are an incredible pair. Nick is a musician. He is an entrepreneur. He is a meditation and Ayurveda advocate. He pops up on Melissa's podcast quite a bit. I love hearing the two of them chat together. And before that, he also hosted his own podcast, The Nick Broadhurst Show. He doesn't release new episodes anymore, but it's still available. And I loved that podcast while it was live and thankfully you can still go check it out. And you also need to head over to Spotify and listen to his music. I know you will be obsessed with his debut album, Thank You, and his song, Breathe. I am obsessed with There are so many amazing remixes and we can all use a little more music in our lives. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. But I was so excited to chat with Nick, not only to learn more about his career, but also some of his life philosophies and really touch on his his different transitions and changing philosophies when it comes to health and wellness, and also how he and Melissa maintain such a strong communicative relationship. So we talk about relationships and health and wellness, why he left a ketogenic diet for a plant-based diet, and also his music career, his struggle with chronic illness and some pretty profound spiritual experiences he has had. So there is a lot of incredible information in this show, and I think he offers a perspective that many of you might not have heard on this show recently, and I like to switch things up. So I'm excited for you all to hear from Nick. I had so much fun chatting with him, and I'm so grateful he could come on the show. There is a lot of interesting information in this podcast. Make sure you stay till the end. We talk about male orgasms and why Nick thinks that keto diets are the worst thing anyone can do for their gut health and so much more. To find more from Nick, you can search Nick Broadhurst on Spotify and SoundCloud and YouTube. And also make sure you head over to his Instagram. I am Nick Broadhurst to connect further. And you can head on over to his website, IamNickBroadhurst.com. All information will be in the show notes. Before we hop in, don't forget that throughout the month of May 2020, I am running 
an amazing giveaway with Blue Blocks, my favorite brand of blue light blocking glasses. And one lucky winner will win a pair of the best blue blockers on the planet. Trust me, you notice a huge difference when you switch over to 100% blue light blocking glasses like Blue Blocks. So to enter, you have to be following three Instagram accounts, Christina Rice Wellness, Wellness Realness Podcast, and Blue Blocks Official. That's spelled B-L-U-B-L-O-X Official. And then there are a few different ways you can actually enter. One is to take a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review for this show and email it in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Another way to enter, you can enter multiple times, is to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me, Christina Rice Wellness, tag Wellness Wellness Podcast, and tag Blue Blocks Official, and email a screenshot of that social media share to podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Pretty simple to enter, and this is a prize you will not want to miss out on, so best of luck. That's my reminder for today, and now I just want you to enjoy this incredible conversation with Nick Broadhurst. I'm curious if I am the only one, but my Ned bottle has been getting low quite quickly in the last few months. Just me? I was just thinking about how I've been using Ned for a few years now, literally since its conception. This is the only CBD product I will use because it's not just CBD, it is full spectrum hemp and it is the highest quality full spectrum hemp out there. And when you're looking for a CBD, you really wanna make sure you are getting a full spectrum hemp oil because the true power of hemp, all the healing properties come from the entourage effect of the cannabidiol alongside all of the other phytocannabinoids that complement that CBD. So NED full spectrum hemp oil also contains the other compounds like CBG, CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and those lovely smelling hemp terpenes. The only other ingredient in NED is non-GMO MCT oil which I love because most other products out there on the market have flavorings and fillers and inflammatory oils. Ned goes above and beyond with their production of the full spectrum hemp oil. They only extract from hemp flowers, also known as the buds, versus other products that usually extract from the stalks and seeds of the hemp plant. And they also only use a really gentle, slow ethanol-based extraction method done at room temperature. So there's no high heat or high pressure used. That's why you actually notice a difference with Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil and you probably haven't with other hemp oils or it might not be as powerful as you're hoping it would have been. That's why quality is so important. And Ned goes the extra mile by energetically infusing all of their products with the words love and gratitude. This is based on the findings that you can read about in the book, The Hidden Messages in Water that talk about how words like love and gratitude can actually change the molecular structure of water, or in this case, hemp oil. And their products are attuned to the frequencies of 3.5 hertz and 7.83 hertz, which helps to promote balance and grounding. And these binaural beats are associated with remedying depression and anxiety while promoting DNA repair. This product is incredible for helping with sleep, helping with any insomnia, decreasing anxiety, depression, any type of inflammation, body pain, joint pain, inflammatory response. And I think a lot of us can use extra stress relief right now and a really strong anti-inflammatory. 
And for all my ladies out there, if you haven't yet checked out their natural cycle collection, please, please do. This has been incredible for helping to balance out my hormones naturally. I recommend this to so many of my clients, my family, my friends, and for me, regulating my period and making it a breeze and super predictable and trackable. This has been a game changer because I used to struggle with the most painful periods. I never knew when they were coming and now everything is on track. And I love that this is just a super natural way to balance out your hormones. So if you want to try out any products from Ned, like their full spectrum hemp oil, their natural cycle collection, their hemp infused body butter, or their hemp infused lip balms, all are amazing. Hop on over to helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. And when you get your bottle in the mail, make sure you tag me so I can see it. To start off, I would love to know what you're drinking there. That was just celery juice, actually. Oh, really? And usually I drink it a lot slower, but obviously I haven't got time. So <laughs> so are you on a medical medium protocol? Of sorts, yeah. I mean, I do I do follow some of the sort of more foundational stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was doing a bunch of those things sort of naturally, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the way I sort of ate and, you know, lemon water in the mornings and hibiscus teas like I was kind of already naturally doing it um but the celery juice has become a really I don't know it it feels very important in my day what benefits have you noticed um it's sort of hard to say because I do so many things I don't really know what gives me the results to be honest but um, there have (laughs) been there have been some things that I think have definitely moved the needle which we can talk about but um I think for celery juice, you know, when you have things which just feel good in your body mm-hmm. and your body just soaks it up, like drinking water after that would just be weird because it just doesn't soak into my body, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I, wa- I mean, I want to dive a lot more into your, your health journey in the show, but just sure. in case anyone listening isn't already familiar with your work, you do so many things. So when people ask you what you do, how do you, how, what do you say? Look, my, um, I always say I'm a musician for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's definitely the core of who I am. Um, but there's so many things that I do as well in terms of running Melissa's business. Um, you know, I've produced film. Obviously, I've had a podcast. Um, I come from a background of corporate and I invest and I do a bunch of different things. So I always say musician and then you know, let the uh, conversation unfold from there, really. <laughs> Have you always been in love with music or when did that start? For me, music was basically from literally the age of uh, probably six or seven. I remember when I was really young, and this is quite unusual for a young child, but without any sort of influence from my parents, I started listening to jazz and like 1940s big band music back when I was literally seven or eight years old, I used to sneak my uh, red cassette, Sony cassette player into my, underneath my like sheets in my bed. And I would be listening to like literally 1940s, Glenn Miller, big band jazz and Charlie Parker and all these sort of artists, which is not normal for a, a kid of that age to just start listening to them off his own bat. 
And I've got a really interesting story around that because about maybe six or seven years ago, I went to, I was working with this naturopath who was also a um, kinesiologist, but a woman who was super tapped into, I don't know what you want to call it, source, different dimensions, aliens, I don't know, a whole bunch of different <laughs> stuff. Um, and we, I wasn't there for that experience, but I definitely could tell she was someone who could channel really interesting thing because she would just make different comments like, oh, someone just walked in the room, you know, and mm-hmm. little things like that. Oh, there's, there's a gentleman by the side of your head or little things like that. She just make them off the cuff and oh, that's interesting. And all of a sudden she, she just sort of stopped what she was doing with her kinesiology. And she just said, what does this mean? And she started moving her fingers. I'm like, what's this? I'm like, well, that's piano, obviously. Like, you know, um, looks like you're playing the piano. And what was interesting was this whole thing sort of unfolded where I wasn't seeking a past life experience at all. And I don't fully understand past lives. I mean, I think what confuses me about that is that we all come from the one stream of consciousness. So how can my past life be any different to yours? Because we're all connected anyway, right? But there's something that connects us to different entities that have walked on the earth somehow, right? obviously that same stream of consciousness, but for some reason there is something which connected me to a particular person in a previous life. And she was going through this process with me where, um, I'm trying to remember what it was, but basically what unfolded was um, she said, I'm getting very, very strongly that you were a pianist um, and you played with someone and you'll know who that person is. Um, and straight away I just said Charlie Parker, which was mm-hmm. my, I grew up listening to Charlie Parker, a sax player from a very young age, I ended up becoming a professional sax player. So that's kind of odd, right? Um, and she said, I'm going to look up. You're a white pianist and you were blind. So it's very specific information. Mm-hmm. And she was getting goosebumps and I was getting goosebumps and, and there was a whole bunch of other information that was unfolding around that at the time. I've done a blog, a blog post on it. You can go to my website, um, I'm and, and just search for Lenny L E W N I E. Um, or we can put it in the show notes, but the actual blog post I wrote on it and the podcast I did on it was, is fascinating because you get to see me side by side with this person. So she did this search and found this, pianist called Lenny Tristano who was blind and she looked up his lifespan and he passed away seven days before me. Wow. Wow. Before before I was born, I should say. (laughs) How did that make you feel? Like, how did that make you feel when you heard that and saw that? Well, we immediately went to YouTube and started watching Lenny Tristano on YouTube. And I, I immediately knew straight away that However you articulate past lives, I knew straight away that that was me in some form. And we then dived into that work a bit deeper and realized that Lenny, um, so if you look at Buddhism, for example, they you go into a period of bardo and they tend to be 7, 14, 21, 28, you know, in periods of seven days. So to come back in that seven days so quickly as a consciousness to to want to take physical form again is... is um, relatively rare which either means there's like a desperation to get back or something was unfinished 
And it was very clear that Lenny didn't finish what he wanted to do in terms of his music. He was later recognized as a Hall of Fame, jazz Hall of Fame artist, um, fascinating player. And if you watch the videos, I've got a very unusual piano style and we play the same way with these weird straight fingers. We, we look profile wise, we look almost identical. We have similar scarring on our face. Um, we both had, uh, from memory, I think he was, he was married to, he had two half Italian wives. I've had two half Italian wives, like crazy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, things are repeating and he, didn't do what he wanted to do, didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve. He died quite young of a broken heart. So I realized for me personally, it just became this, I guess, this mantra for me that, you know, make sure I do what I'm here to do with my music. And it's interesting because I definitely have a lot of different resistances that come up through my life around that um, for for various reasons. And I would feel like I'm in a period of resistance right now because um, for whatever reason, my voice just isn't performing the way that it usually does. Mm. You know, like these little things just happen. Um, anyway, that was a long-winded story around. Um, no, I appreciate whatever. you sharing that. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, the first thing I was wondering is, have you looked into your astrology chart or human design chart? Because I'd be super curious to see if in terms of your soul's purpose here in this lifetime, if that aligns with that mission that you found through that past life i have definitely and like i've done more vedic astrology or jyotish mm-hmm. um which i really resonate with it just seems to be it just feels very true to me um what i've noticed with doing jyotish astrology is that while not being predictive as such it it gives a general pattern for your life and periods different periods of your life so i know this sort of general period that i'm in right now and I know what I'm kind of supposed to be achieving according to the stars. I know that Melissa and I, when you look at our Jyotish astrology together, we were just a hundred percent supposed to meet when we met mm. for so many different reasons, you know? Um, and what was the other one we were talking about? Astrology. Oh, human, human design. design. Yeah. And I, I haven't gone deep into it. I know I'm a manifesting generator, um, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so all these tools for me become just a really nice comfort. Um, I try not to lean on them too much, but I find them really fascinating. Yeah. Um, they give me peace of mind sometimes. Yeah. So when you were saying before you've met resistance multiple times in various forms, what else besides right now you're saying your voice isn't performing to where you want it to, like what else comes up for you in terms of resistance? (laughs) Uh, so much. I think. I think artists, depending on your level of success, I guess, I don't know. I think everyone has different pressures. Mm. I think if you're Chris Martin and you're writing with Coldplay, you might feel pressure to to really perform in the next album. And that's a different type of, maybe he meets resistance around that. I don't know. Um, I think for for emerging artists who um, who don't know their voice yet in terms of like their sound and these things, then they might have a bit of self-worth around that and trying to become you know, the artist they're supposed to become. But for me personally, it's gone through stages where I started my career in, um, my professional career in a band called Sneaky Sound System, which became a very, very big band. Um, you know, multiple ARIA awards and number one album in Australia. And, you know, it was a huge success. 
but I was the baby of the band. Um, I was very managed. I didn't have a lot of input into it. And so I think not feeling particularly valued in that band um, definitely gave my own creative self-worth a, a bit of a hit. So when I left that, I went into a more professional world, into business, um, and spent quite a few years there. But when I circled back into my own music, my my solo career, I was faced with the question, like, who the hell am I as an artist? Like, am I a singer? I've never sung before. You know, I'm a sax player. So all of a sudden, I had to find this this voice from someone who'd never really sung before. So that was interesting. And now I'm known as a vocalist, but I never grew up singing, which is quite interesting. Um, and I think I still have almost like imposter syndrome around that. Like, <laughs> am, I, am I really a singer? <laughs> you know? Um, but I listen to my music sometimes and I think, God, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> you know, maybe I am a singer. <laughs> um, so I think there's definitely some imposter stuff there that, that creeps in. Um, but generally, because I find myself being really creative in different things, especially with Melissa's business and, um, you know, as I said before, like film production and I have a lot of different things I like to do, I can very easily fill my world up with other things that take me from my music, which I know is a subcon- sub- some sort of subconscious um, sabotage. Really. Mm. Yeah. Um, which is crazy because I know my music's really loved and, you know, it's got its audience and, but yet I still manage to find ways to sabotage, which is really insane. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> think, human. I think we all do. Right. And I, I think I'm also curious how the timeline of you kind of adjusting your career and figuring these things out and meeting resistance matches to your health journey, because I know you've had your own health journey. So when did, when did your health issues first come up and what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, it definitely, it definitely matches. Um, very, very strongly, actually. So when I came out of Sneaky Sound System, I went into real estate and I didn't, you know, I didn't, I mean, I, I liked property, but I didn't really know much about real estate. I can't imagine you in real estate. You're too creative. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? But I managed to take the creativity into that career. So I was living in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. I was married to someone else at the time. I had, um, you know, a very young child, Leo, who's now 14, which is just crazy. Um, but when you're in real estate, you sort of need to have a network. You need to know people. So the only way I could really build a network, and this is the most expensive part of Sydney, very, you know, one of the most expensive suburbs in the world, areas of the world in terms of real estate, I had to just push incredibly hard, you know, cold calling, like all the stuff I just despise, you know. Um, but but doing that level of things that I really didn't enjoy taught me a lot. You know, it really taught me the the merit of work. Um, I was not a particularly hard worker before that career. So I very quickly built myself from absolutely nothing to in five years, I was awarded the top agent in the country. Um, and I had an average sale price of 6.7 million US, uh, Australian dollars. Um, but I, I brought this really interesting marketing to the property. So I was selling high-end residential property up to sort of $20, $25 million. And I literally made my properties look like a Vogue or a Harper's Bazaar shoe, like made them look incredible. I had a photographer that was exclusive to me who came from Architectural Digest and I brought this aesthetic to it, which no one else was doing. And, you know, property is about aesthetics, of course. But 
in that career, I had to push so hard. I was working six days a week that I was never present with my family. So I may have been physically present, but I was not emotionally available to them. Um, I would be playing on a Sunday, my only day with Leo, my son, and I would be there, but I wasn't there. I was on the phone. I was closing a deal and I had to do it because I had to, you know, I had a family. I had to survive. I had to make money. I had to, you know, there's a high pressure, high pressure situation. Um, and from that, as that marriage started to really implode in many ways, I started meditating. I've got a show it on right now. If you can see me, it says heavily meditated. Um, I'm not like a massive ambassador for meditation and as such, but I'm just happy to be wearing that shirt. But, um, I started meditating. It took me on this path that was very different to the path my, my ex-wife was on. And so we started growing apart. And I use this sort of analogy with relationships where if one person starts to really grow and evolve and the other person doesn't, imagine that you, you and your partner are standing back to back and you tie a big rubber band around your waist. And one person sort of takes a step away from the other person. They start going in a slightly different direction. But the other person stays firm and says, I'm not going to, I'm not interested, I'm not going there. And you say, well, I'm just going to keep going on my journey. And you take another step and another step. And all of a sudden, that elastic band starts to feel a bit tight. You can start feeling the pressure. And if you continue that journey and continue down that path, as I did, you get to a point where there's so much distance between you that that rubber band starts to cut in and starts causing pain. You can really feel it. It's there all the time. You can't escape it. And it's, it comes to a certain point when you're so far apart that one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to snap and you're just going to go your own ways or the other person's going to get slingshot up to meet you on your journey. And for me, it was the, the former where it snapped and we, we dissolved. But from that, you know, having a young child, there was a lot of financial pressure. Um, there was emotional stress. Um, seeing my son upset was just heartbreaking to me. Um, and of course, there was a lot of pain around losing that person in your life. So when you combine um, all that stress with then what had happened just before that was I came down with viral, men viral meningitis. I had a huge toxic mold exposure when I was renovating a very old home. So I had this sort of pressure cooker of things that happened to me and my immune system just literally stood no chance whatsoever. Toxic mold, viral meningitis, financial pressure, divorce, and my body just completely broke. And I remember I literally woke up one day, I went from feeling worried about what the general trend of my health to waking up feeling like it's gone. Mm. I, uh, I had myalgic encephalitis which is like true chronic fatigue syndrome where very few things are really working properly. Um, I laugh now, but it was pretty serious at the time. Um, and I was essentially bedridden for about three years. Wow. So it was really serious. Um, huge viral loads that just never really, I didn't know what to do. I came out of hospital and no one told me that my nervous system was completely destroyed. No one said that to me. So I'm, here I am, a single man. I start going to the gym, training, getting fit, muscular, and trying to like, you know, make myself feel better about myself because I was going through this divorce. Yet my nervous system was 
on thin ice and I just destroyed it even further. So there was a very long period to get myself out of that place. And in many respects, there's still residual things, you know, which still I'm still working on. Um, but it started to get better when I started with my own music. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. What does that tell you? (laughs) It's all about living in alignment, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And in the periods where I fill my life up with other things and I'm not doing my music, Melissa would call it your mean girl. I guess I call it bad boy. That stuff starts seeping in, Mm. You, you know, because when I'm fully immersed in my music, I know what I'm capable of. There's no doubt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So is that what brought you to that naturopath you were, you were talking about before? Yeah, it was. Um, she was the sort of person I found under very unusual circumstances. You know, it was obviously someone I was supposed to meet. Mm-hmm. And it, she, it turned out she was literally 100 meters down the road from where I lived. I'd never heard of her. No one had. Mm-hmm. She was extraordinary. Um, and I think, you know, Practitioners are really important when you when you're deep and you're really struggling. Sometimes you need someone to just look you in the face and go, "It's all good. I know what to do with you. Don't worry about it." And that person, honestly, for me, was Dr. Stephen Cabral. Mm. And I think if anyone knows my podcast or Melissa's podcast, you'll know Dr. Stephen Cabral. And I stumbled across him again, like when the teacher um, is needed, he appears. Right, whatever the saying is. Um, and I was literally doing research around CBD oil and he popped up in the podcast he'd done around CBD. And so I looked into him and I I just had this connection with him straight away. I just knew that this guy was going to be the one for me. And at the time I was deep in depression. I was underweight. Um, I had incredibly severe SIBO and, um, you know, gut gut dysbiosis. Like I was a mess. Um, but he, in the first session, he looked me in the eye and he said to me, Nick, he sort of smiled. He goes, I've been where you are. He said, I've actually literally been exactly where you are. So I know exactly what to do with you. And that belief someone had just, it changed my life completely. And the nice thing is I get to meet Stephen for the first time in in the flesh, um, next week. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. on sun- <laughs> Actually this week on Sunday. So, is you he know, coming there? He's he's in Australia at the moment. Um, he just did. He's doing a bit of a tour here. Um, we sort of helped him map out his holiday, so he's coming to where we live. Very convenient. Um, unfortunately, it's been raining nonstop for weeks, so not the, best, <laughs> not the best time. But yeah, and that. So I do think practitioners play a very important role. I don't think they're always absolutely needed. You can hundred percent do things yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it takes a special person to do that sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And I think something that I love about Dr. Cabral is that he does not have a one size fit all approach. And, you know, well, so was he the person who introduced you to Ayurveda or is that something you were interested in before? Well, because of my meditation background, which is Vedic in origin, Mm -hmm. um, I became interested in Ayurveda many, many years ago. So I've been doing transcendental or Vedic meditation, whatever you want to call it. I've been doing it for, um, 12 years now, I think. Um, I was literally just rushing to get my meditation this morning because it's, we started this interview at 7 a.m. for me. So, um, 
you know, I woke up late this morning. Um, I allow my body just to sort of wake up when it wants to. I don't set alarms as such. I just let it sort of do its thing. Melissa's awake like two hours before me. She sort of wakes up at four o'clock. She's always bright eyed and impossibly beautiful in the morning. It drives me nuts because I wake up groggy and, you know, and that's different body types. Speaking of Ayurveda, I'm a Vata Pitta and she's a Pitta Kapha. So, you know, the, the nature of Vata is to be like that in the mornings, um, a bit slower to rise. So I had this interest in, in Ayurveda for a long time. And for me, it's this sort of, it's a lens I get to look at life through that makes everything make a bit more sense. Mm-hmm. It gives me clarity. It's, it's a filter. It helps me see patterns within myself and other people. Um, and I know when I'm in balance very quickly because of the understanding I have with Ayurveda. So Stephen just really made it very practical for me by combining that with functional medicine mm-hmm. and really just having someone of his level reinforce my own beliefs was great because I knew I was on the right track. Today's show is sponsored by an incredible company, BetterHelp. You might have heard of them. I have been using their services for a few months now, and I absolutely love it. BetterHelp makes getting professional counseling accessible to so many people. You get your own licensed professional therapist online. You can start communicating with him or her in as little as 24 hours. This isn't a crisis line or just self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it just makes finding a counselor so much easier. It is far more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So if you are struggling with any aspect of your mental health, maybe you're struggling with some anxiety, too much stress, feeling a little depressed, overwhelmed, confused, there are so many emotions running high right now. You're just trying to figure out what's interfering with your happiness or what's preventing you from achieving your goals. Therapy can be so helpful. And I started seeing my first therapist when I was in college, when I was 18, and I've never gone back. Having professional counseling has gotten me through so many difficult times. And I just love how BetterHelp makes it so accessible for people to get help. And they assess your needs and match you with the perfect therapist. So you don't have to spend all the time and money trying to find the right person. I know how exhausting that can be. And when you feel like you need help in this area, it is already overwhelming enough. And then finding somebody can feel overwhelming too. And that is why I love BetterHelp. And I can just talk to my therapist whenever I need from my couch and send her a message in between sessions whenever I need to talk to her. So if you are struggling in any way and want extra support, head on over to trybetterhelp.com slash wellnessrealness. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash wellnessrealness and receive 10% off your first month. So that's a special discount for my Wellness Realness listeners at trybetterhelp.com slash wellnessrealness. You'll get that 10% off and I'm excited for you to try it out. I'm really curious what diet, lifestyle, personal changes you made when working with him to, you know, overcome your SIBO, to build up your nervous system again. Um, I've had a lot of personally, you know, I've had SIBO, candida, mold illness. So I find all this fascinating. Um, And I know you had done a blog and a podcast about how you cured SIBO by eating more sweet potatoes. (laughs) And I thought that was fascinating. I think people listening to this 
would be very interested to learn more about that because so many people come on the show and really preach a low carb ketogenic approach for gut issues. So that definitely sparked my interest. And I would love for you to speak a little bit more to that and what your experience was. Well, it's interesting. I feel very passionate about this because, and we'll talk about low carb and keto in a minute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, I think the, the subject of that podcast was how I cured candida and SIBO with sweet potato and maple syrup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was total, it was total, you know, shameless clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I laughed about it in the episode. I, I said, this is total clickbait, but to be honest, it's true. So I'm really passionate about this because I bought into the low carb ketogenic approach. And I think quite possibly, and this will go against what some of your guests have said, I think it's the most destructive health ad to come along in a very, very long time. Anything that replaces a fiber rich, antioxidant rich meal with fat can make sense when you read the science, when you read books, you go through Bulletproof and all these sorts of things out there or Dr. McCullough and, you know, it can be very, very compelling and I 100% fell for it, hook, line and sinker. And I went from pretty healthy person, looking pretty good, fit, strong. I lost and I didn't have any weight to lose, okay? So I was, I was at the sort of borderline i was just a good weight healthy weight um, which for me is very thin always i lost uh 15 kilos wow. which is like 33 pounds um i created i went from i had organic acid testing before and after my ketogenic so this is fully scientifically proven what happened to me okay um my gut before was pretty good i was in pretty good shape no SIBO you know, a bit of bacterial overgrowth, but nothing major. I think stuff that most people would live with perfectly fine in this day and age. 18 months later, having been on proper keto, measuring ketones, like I'm, I'm a bit anal like that. I do things properly. Um, I completely destroyed my microbiome. Completely. Um, I completely destroyed my metabolic health, my nervous system. I had one of the worst cases of SIBO and candida Stephen Corral had ever seen. Um, so I couldn't absorb any nutrients, nothing. Nothing was absorbing. I was losing weight and I was depressed, incredibly depressed for 12 months. And so am I a fan of keto and low carb? Absolutely not. I think it is supportive for people in very, very specific situations specifically um, epilepsy in some of these conditions, some cancers. But for the general population, I think um, the faster that the keto low-carb craze goes away, the better. Mm. Um, I think it's very disruptive. And I think it's come about with very good intentions. So, you know, I think Dr. McCall's book on, I think it was Fat for Fuel or whatever it was called, I think he had very good intentions and believe what he was writing, for example. Um, and he's not the only one. There's hundreds, thousands of books out there on this. But what we need, what, what this world is actually starving is not fat. It's starved of fiber. Mm. It's starved of plants, right? Um, and the minute when someone tells you that, that plants 
like the plant paradox and these sorts of things that lectins are bad and you're going down a very, very slippery slope where you're taking the very thing that's been given to humans to keep us strong, healthy and to heal us, which is plants. You're taking that away from people. And um, we're, not, we, we're not in a protein deficiency or a carbohydrate deficiency or any of these things or a fat deficiency. We're in a fiber deficiency. So some stuff that I found really fascinating was work by um, Dr. Michael Greger, who wrote How Not to Die. So if you want to read an amazing book, read How Not to Die. Um, and Dr. Greger has really interesting information that goes out on his side. It's not really his side. It's the nutri- nutritionfacts.org. It's not for profit side. Um, it's about just giving facts and it's not biased and um, it's all scientifically based. And he posted this fascinating video on paleo poo. Right. And so over obviously hundreds of years, we've been finding these different um, architectural sites with human remains, which date back thousands, tens of thousands of years. And a lot of the time they would be fossilized feces and it was never really looked at. They just sort of would keep it and store it away, but they were looking more at what's happening in the gut and, you know, bones, mineral density, this sort of stuff. But they started studying this paleo, paleo poo. And what they found was that the average paleo poo had a diet that consisted of around 100 grams of fiber, or even more actually, 107 grams of fiber per day, right? So if we want to talk about our natural diet, we just need to look at our poo, right? <laughs> um, and 107 grams of fiber, to give some perspective, the average American has about 20, if that. Um, the average, uh, if you're, if you're on a predominantly plant-based diet, you may be nudging 50 to 70 grams. Mm. So we're talking like high, high, high fiber diets. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we know that we've always had a very high plant intake. Um, I have consciously tried to hit a hundred grams. I've tracked my food to see what it looks like. And it's consuming just incredible amounts of plants in one day to hit that amount. So when you go low carb or keto, they tend to give you things like psyllium husks and these sorts of things, chia, to boost your fiber intake because they know how important it is, right? Um, but that, where was I going with that? What was the, what was the original question? <laughs> Got into such a tangent with paleo. I don't even know. Well, you're just talking about why you think low carb is detrimental to people. Well, okay. Well, that's just, Really, it isn't it? So, um, I think we have to be very careful what we listen to, mm-hmm. and sometimes just tune back into our common sense. Do you have to be fully plant based? No, it's total personal preference, of course. Um, I personally never thought I would ever be plant based. I used to sort of have this sort of arrogance: "Oh, ha, ha, those vegans, <laughs> they they'll it, they'll get what's coming to them." You know, like I had this ridiculous approach to. There were judgment around vegans. Um, but I woke up one morning about a year ago and could no longer tolerate animal products. My body just said, mm. enough, I'm not doing it anymore. And so I stopped and I put on five kilograms of pure muscle and have never been stronger, fitter, healthier, or happier in my life. Wow. Um, and so everyone's individual, but I think we have to be very, very careful with things like putting butter in our coffee and these sorts of things. 
I mean, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it's so important for people to hear, you know, different perspectives and how changing your diet can affect different people. I'm curious when you increased your fiber intake, did that, how did that affect your digestion? Well, most people will, when they think of say legumes, for example, which are obviously very high in fiber and they're also a carbohydrate and high in protein. They're very unique legumes really in terms of the plant kingdom. A lot of people can have trouble with them and they say, oh, well, you know, they can't be good for me. I can't do beans or I can't do legumes. We're not realizing that if you do switch to plant-based or if you start going more plant-based um, or bringing things like legumes in, you're dramatically increasing your fiber intake. So all of a sudden, the bacteria in your gut, which only feed on fiber, okay? Mm-hmm. But that's, that's how they feed. So when you're taking the fiber out and you're high fat, that's why you create dysbiosis. So if you want to create gut dysbiosis, the fastest way to do it is a high-fat diet, period, full stop. Um, but with going high fiber, you have to be patient sometimes. So if you start introducing a new food, then you just got to take it slow. So for me personally, I never, I never had an issue with it. I could just jump straight into, I was already introducing different legumes once a day through Stephen Cabral and I was having one serving of animal protein a day. So I was already kind of halfway there. So for me, I didn't feel a thing. Melissa, on the other hand, had to there was certain legumes she just didn't tolerate, like red lentils just didn't work for her, mm-hmm. you know, um, red kidney beans, things like that. So you can just bring a tablespoon in and let your microbiome adjust to that and it'll start completely changing. You'll start having new bacteria growing. Now, I recently got a gut test back, which I just did out of interest because I was in America and I went to the upgrade labs there and I did a gut zoomer test. Now, I um, had my last testing which was probably 18 months ago, I had zero bifidobacterium anywhere in my, in my system for lots of reasons, I'm sure. But I had zero. Right? I have not been supplementing with it. And now I've got a surplus of bifido mm-hmm. since I've gone plant-based, which is super fascinating, right? I've just been giving it all the food they need to, to thrive. Um, so you just got to be, you got to remember that everyone's guts is different. And when you start introducing new food, just be patient and be kind to yourself because it, legumes are honestly a powerhouse in so many ways, but they're so almost demonized because they give people wind or gas or bloating. But the reason that's happening is purely because you're increasing your fiber intake. So for me, it wasn't an issue, but I think people have to be very mindful that it can be. Um, but that doesn't mean they're bad for you. It just means that you've got to take time and they're a very powerful food. Yeah. Well, I think people need to remember no matter how you're changing your diet, if you're making an adjustment, your body needs some time to to adjust, right? So I think sometimes people make a change and then something that they don't like happens and they freak out and they stop. But you have to give your body at least a couple of weeks to adjust um, yeah. from my experience. Well, and then I'm also wondering if... So the way you eat now, does that align with the recommendations for your dosha? Or because I'm not super familiar with... um because I know there are specific dietary recommendations for the different mm-hmm. doshas, right? Yeah. Yeah. So vata, I mean, I'm a vata pitta, which is unique because um, my body is a bit more, like I have quite a decent chest, which is more of a pitta constitution, where, but I'm still relatively tall and, and I wouldn't say lanky, but thin, which is more vata. My creativity comes from vata, yet my drive comes from my pitta. The pitta is fire, which means that if I have too much drive, it can easily extinguish the vata and burn that out. So 
keeping that in balance is really, really important. I've definitely, um, since working with Stephen, be- become a lot more aware of that. And I'm super mindful of of feeling into my body and knowing when I'm pushing too hard. Um, so there are just basic things that for me that keep me in balance. Food, Vavada, it is much higher carb than any other constitution. So for me being Vata Pitta and a body that loves glucose in the system because that's what keeps our nervous system strong, to go high fat and go low, low carb is the exact opposite of what I should be doing, which is why it affected me so badly. But you could have a pitta constitution, like someone like Melissa, who's pitta kapha. She could almost do anything to her body and it'll take a long time to destroy it, right? Because mm-hmm. she's, she's got this, um, this pitta robustness, this kapha, um, the kapha have a lot of reserves. Okay. Right. So she can do way more, but, but Vada doesn't have that reserve. So you've got to be much more careful what you're doing. Um, but everyone has their everyone has their bonuses because Vata has the creativity. Pitta doesn't really have the creativity. Pitta has the drive. Kapha doesn't have the drive. Drive. Uh, Kapha has the resor- the resources to remain strong, and generally lives longer. But it's easy for them to put on weight and get into thyroid problems and like you know. So everyone's got their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, but diet wise, to summarize it, you would say that Vata is very much a high carb constitution. Um, they, uh, protein is very important to vitas to keep them strong, but at the same time, their digestion is not generally as strong as a pitta. So you've got to be careful how much protein you eat. So you're always kept in check through your constitution. Pitta having been the fire can basically digest just about anything, <laughs> right? Just burn everything up. Um, but of course, pitta can, can become pitta imbalanced. So people who grow, who go gray very young can be pitta imbalanced. They've burnt off the color in their system, right? They can tend towards high blood pressure, all these sorts of things because Mm -hmm. they've got too much fire, right? If you meet someone who's always sweating or red, they exercise, they get red very quickly, pitta. Someone who's got ginger hair, pitta, right? And then you go to kapha. So they can kind of eat just about anything really. Yeah, and they'll get away with it. Whereas kapha, they can look at a sweet potato and put on a kilogram, like literally, you know. Mm-hmm. So every everything's got its its bonuses. I mean, I wish I had some more kapha because I'd have more reserves and I wouldn't have to watch what I'm doing so much. Um, but I love the fact that I don't have to watch my weight. Like I can stay this beautiful, healthy weight very easily. Whereas for a kapha, that'd be a dream for a lot of people, mm. right? So it's about embracing your natural constitution and knowing that um, a kapha person is never going to look like a vata person, so don't try. Embrace the fact that you have wider hips and bigger bones and more beautiful, dewy, shiny skin than a vata who has drier skin. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone's got their um, the pluses and minus, and and everyone's beautiful and unique in their own way. The health and wellness space can be so overwhelming, and that is why I created my Uplevel membership to help you cut through the BS and really figure out what actually is going to work for your body. You know I am all about a truly holistic approach, and that is why I cover a ton of different topics in Uplevel, including gut health, regulating your hormones, healthy weight loss, fitness, self-confidence, manifestation, and of course, all things nutrition. I even provide some of my most used protocols with clients directly 
in the membership portal, including my candida diet protocol and my liver detox protocol and my leaky gut protocol. I used to offer these only to clients and now I share them with anyone in our community in the membership. When you join Uplevel, you will have access to never before seen interviews, hours of exclusive video content, hours of online course content, including my foundational course, Wellness Foundations, that covers nutrition, gut health, supplements, fitness, mindset, sleep, stress management, and more, as well as sneak peeks of other courses like the Ditch Your Acne course and my Paleo Women Lifestyle course. And you also get a few different recipe eBooks, two eight-week at-home workout guides, my grocery shopping list, and other downloads. And I think the best part is the community of other high vibe women. We have monthly live Q&A calls with me and the other women in the membership. And that is exactly where you can ask me anything you want. Plus, you can get to know other members in our private forum. There are hundreds of exclusive blog posts in the membership that cover all things health and wellness, as well as exclusive recipes and workouts. So you will have plenty of content to entertain yourself with. You have access to a practitioner and hundreds of hours of exclusive content to help you reach your health and wellness goals for less than the price of a matcha and a gluten-free muffin. So if you are ready to up-level your health and wellness and join our community of incredible high-vibe women, then just head on over to christinaricewellness.com slash membership to sign up now. You can cancel your membership at any time, but I don't think you'll want to. And you can also get two months for free if you enroll for a year long subscription. So just head on over to christinaricewellness.com slash membership if you want to learn more and sign up and make sure you take a picture and share it on Instagram stories. Tag me so I can see what content you are diving into. What's Melissa's dosha? She's Pizzacuffa. Okay, so then how does that translate in differences in like how you guys live your life like or, or eat different things, exercise? Are there any big differences there? Yeah, so she, um, again, Melissa can kind of, she's the sort of person who could do F45 every day and be totally fine. Okay. Whereas for me, I just create adrenal fatigue if I did that. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so for my training, I, I, I do heavy lifting of some sort four times a week. Um, and I know that five times is too much. And I know that I've got to have a day, you know, I do Monday, Tuesday, break, Thursday, Friday. And I know I need three minutes between sets. I need to fully recover. Like I've learned how my body likes to train. I know it needs slightly higher reps and slightly lower weights as opposed to heavy weights and lower reps because you, when you're training heavy, it's more neurological and you can put strain on your nervous system. So I've learned these things about myself, which has meant that I can stay in a, a period of peak health a lot longer. Um, but how we sort of live together, we both have practices of meditation because that's really important for any constitution. Um, we both have a, a yoga practice because, you know, that's really important for keeping us um, mobile. I think yoga has its strengths and its minuses as well. I think there's a bit too much static work in yoga, which can be problematic for a body like mine. I'm already hypermobile. Mm-hmm. So I can create hypermobility in some areas, which creates tension in other areas to balance it out. So. You know, you just got to be really mindful of your constitution. When it comes to food, um, I'll eat probably twice as many carbs as Melissa does, but she's not afraid of carbs. She, she'll eat. Um, her smoothie in the morning is two cups of blueberries, two bananas, a whole orange. Um, it's got cilantro, um, 
dulse, spirulina, barley grass. It's a, you know, it's a high carbohydrate morning. And I think one thing I've learned that's really supported me is that the last thing we want to be doing in the mornings is having fat because we've just spent the entire night with the body in this beautiful cleansing detox mode. And then the last thing we want to do is go and chug fat into the system and stop that detox process. Because the minute we have fat, we produce bile. The minute we have bile production, we stop detoxifying. Not completely, but a lot. So going low fat, we don't have any fat until lunch. Melissa doesn't have any fat until dinner, actually. Mm. Oh, just a little bit at lunch now. So we're giving our bodies the best chance to continually clean out because we live in a world now which is not like it was back in the so-called caveman days. It's very different. We have, uh, you know, electrical smog, which is why I've got these different devices around me, which are protecting me from Wi-Fi right now. Yeah. Uh, we, we have um, things being sprayed in the air, which God knows what that is. We have um, water, which is no longer clean. Even if we get the best water, we still don't know what exactly is in there. Um, we have a food supply, especially in America, which has got glyphosate all through it, even if you're eating organic and biodynamic. Um, so we're under a lot of physiological, physiological stress. So one organ that needs the most support is the liver. Mm-hmm. So me going from high fat, keto, low carb to now essentially low fat because what that gives me the chance to do is my body can clean itself really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fats that I do have come from whole foods. And I very I use olive oil as my only liquid oil, but only as a medicine. So we actually work with um, a company called Wild Olive, mm-hmm. and it's a wild harvested olive oil from Greece from over two thousand year old trees. It's got the highest polyphenol count in the world. Um, it's essentially the best olive oil in the world, and you. Use it as a medicine. You don't use it. You can use it in your food if you want. It's $100 a bottle, so it's up to you. But um, having a tablespoon of that, for example, I use that as medicine for its antioxidant quality. So my fat comes from whole foods like nuts, seeds, avocados, etc. Yeah. Well, that's so important because that's something I'm super passionate about is the olive oil because so many people are consuming so much olive oil that's not even real olive oil. It's just canola oil. Or vegetable oil, <laughs> people don't realize it, and like the quality is so important. And I think just amidst all this confusion amongst nutrition, we have everyone in our ears saying different things. Like at the end of the day, I think what we can all agree on is whole foods, right? <laughs> like unprocessed yeah. food, high quality ingredients. I think one hundred percent. I think we've got to come back to basics. Mm-hmm. Let's not overcomplicate things, right? Yeah, we were given an abundance of of food in this world for humans to thrive and survive on mm-hmm. and you can look at you can find something to convince yourself of anything you can find science to convince yourself of the carnivore diet if you really want to right um but the point is when you look at the general consensus like for example the world health organization did a study with over 100 scientists looking at meta-analysis so they didn't go and do studies they just looked at all the information that's out there these are scientists that were independently employed no government uh, sorry no um no vested interest, no lobbying, nothing. They looked at all the data out there, did all the meta-analysis. It was over many, many years. And the recommendations they came back with, completely independent, just purely scientific, was that it's a predominantly plant-based diet. And a very small amount of that food came from animal products. Um, things like dairy, for example, have been taken out of the Canadian food chart. 
You know, like this, this stuff's starting to happen. So if you look at the blue zones, we know that they live a predominantly plant-based diet, 90, 95%, some 100%. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying everyone has to be vegan. I don't even call myself a vegan because I think that has its own baggage that comes with it as well, unfortunately. Um, for example, I have a car, which I love, which has leather seats. I'm not yeah. going to sell my car because of the leather seats. I think they'd be disrespectful to the animals that actually <laughs> lost their lives to provide that leather. I have a leather jacket I bought 10 years ago that I love in winter in Sydney. I'm not going to get rid of that because, um, again, I think that's disrespectful. Um, but I'm no longer purchasing those sorts of items, for example. So I do consider myself now I am vegan in that sense. But I have honey. I think honey is a beautiful gift to the world. I don't think it's something which needs to be frowned upon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we each have our own way of doing life. And when it comes to diet, I think that this coming back to the basics, if we're eating predominantly plants, we're going to do extremely well. And then just knowing which of those plants suit your body type. And if you choose to have protein in your diet that comes from animals or fats, then there's also a lot of proof that that can also do very well for you as well. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, even the Mediterranean diet has been touted as the, the best diet, right? Um, it's been, to be honest, completely misunderstood. And it's not so much the, the olive oil that's doing it, it's the plants. Because the official Mediterranean diet, the original studies that looked at this was based on a predominantly plant-based diet. So I think just keep things basic. Like people, myself included, can get caught up in the latest fancy thing. Mm -hmm. We've forgotten that just eating a banana can just be the most nourishing, beautiful thing. And if you listen to someone like Anthony William, medical medium, he says that banana is one of the most healing foods for candida. Mm. You know, so who's right? I don't know. Take take a middle ground and and know that fruits really good for you. Mm-hmm. Plants are really good for you. Legumes are good for you. Nuts, seeds, mushrooms, seaweeds, herbs, spices—they're all incredible. Make that the basis of your diet, and then if you include a small amount of protein that comes from animals or fats, then you'll do very very well. Simple. Yeah, I think that it just always comes back to bio individuality, and yeah. like we have so much. I mean. It's amazing that there's so much access to different information nowadays, but I think it's just confusing to too many people at some <laughs> sometimes. And going back to the blue zones, you know, I think a really important part of what makes those people live for so long is that social aspect, the community, the family. And I really wanted to also chat with you about relationships. And mm-hmm. I mean, I love hearing you and Melissa talk about your relationship, um, your growth together, like how you navigate that. And you you talked a bit about it at the beginning about, you know, with the rubber band analogy, if someone's moving in one direction and Mm -hmm. the other person is just staying there, moving the opposite direction. But I think a lot of people listening to this show might be in a situation where they're starting to become more conscious and explore spirituality and their partner hasn't started there yet. Um, And so it's not necessarily like you're already really far in one direction. And that person's not moving with you. It's more of like, do you do you have any tips for that person? Where like, how can I get this person to want to be on this journey with me? I'm glad you brought it back to community and connection and relationships because you know it's very easy to chase the shiny objects like the food and hope and think that's going to be some sort of smoking gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it plays an important role because we have physical bodies we've got to take care of. But you know, connection and community and love is far more important than that. And yeah, I mean, Melissa and I, 
it's an interesting relationship because we, for those who don't know our story, we came together very, very quickly. You know, we, we met, we knew of each other for several years because our partners actually were friends. So we'd had a few dinners where we'd cross paths and, you know, we, we thought each other was interesting, but never really looked that, that way because we were in relationships. Um, and even when we were kind of starting to sort of court each other, it wasn't really so much a, a sexual thing. It was a fascination thing with this person. I was like really fascinated and intrigued by her. Um, I wasn't thinking about having a relationship. We spoke about non-monogamy and not getting married and, and not, not having kids. Like we were speaking about the opposite. So we came together <clears throat> at a time where we were both very, we felt very full and quite complete in our own personal lives. We've done a lot of work. Um, individually. So it allowed us to meet at this point where we had zero expectations of each other because we didn't need anything from each other. So we came together in this full transparency, no fear, just all honesty. And what that allowed us to do was to truly see each other for who we were, no smoke and mirrors, which meant that with all those layers peeled back, I saw straight away that I wanted to be this woman for the rest of my life. I just knew straight away because I could see the very essence of her. So we were engaged very quickly. We were engaged in two weeks and got married very quickly. And, and you'd think that, okay, well, you know, you found your soulmate. Life's going to be all rainbows and butterflies. But the truth is that when you meet someone who is your equal, your match, um, you are stepping into a, a space where you will have incredible support and incredible challenge in equal measure because the universe is designed that way. It's divine, designed in that yin-yang single, sorry, that yin-yang symbol where you've got the black and white in perfect harmony. Everything is like that. Everything we see, touch, and smell is, is designed that way, and so are relationships. So for us personally, when we came together, we had this period of absolute bliss, but then kind of knew that there was going to be a polarity to that. And so we started getting these different challenges from different things. Initially, it came from outside, you know, people questioning us um, and doubting us. And then it came internally in our own relationship from the own, our own things that we individually had to move through. So for Melissa, the first big challenge we faced was when her best friend passed away. Mm. Um, and... Uh, Many might remember her, Jess Ainsco, beautiful, beautiful girl. And they were like twin flame soul sisters. You couldn't be any closer. So losing Jess was a huge shock to her and she had PTSD from that. She had a lot of nervous system damage from that. It was just a big shock. And so I had to hold space for her for a long time, like two years where she moved through that. Um, and it was really challenging. So I think what's important to remember in all relationships is that there's always going to be a period of one person needing more support than the other. You know, one person's a rock, the other person's moving through something. Then you get these periods of sort of harmony and then the other person might go. And it's always sort of, we've watched it play out this way in our relationship and kind of just acknowledge with each other, like, okay, cool. I'm in a better space. I've got you, don't worry. It's all good. Um, so we sort of know that we can be held when we need to be held, which is really comforting. Um, but when people are going on this journey and just starting to explore health, wellness, spirituality, consciousness, whatever it is that you're exploring, and your interests start to divert from your partner, the first thing to remember is that everyone's on their own journey and there's no right or wrong. 
I think what can happen in these early stages of a journey is that you start preaching it to your partner or to your family and friends. I did it 100%, you know, like my way or the highway. You guys are all wrong. You're crazy. Why don't you meditate? Why are you eating that food? You know, and all of a sudden you start making people wrong. Um, that's the fastest way to alienate yourself. So when you go on a journey like this, doing it with humility is really, really important. Um, it's something which I've lacked over the years and I had to learn humility um, the hard way, actually. And, you know, I think we can always bring it down to some simple rules in relationships. That is, you've always got two choices. You either accept that person as they are or you leave. Because mm. anything in between that is absolute madness. Now, there is, of course, a period where you may need to feel into that. I have part, uh, friends who have partners who are completely on a different path, but they just love and accept them. They love and accept them. One person might smoke, and the other one just would never do that. And they can't understand how that would be, but they love them and they accept them for where they are in their journey. And I think that's really hard to do sometimes. Uh, quite noble, actually. Um, so lead by example. Just be yourself. And if that person wants to inquire about the things that you're interested in because you're leading by example, you're embodying the very things that you are learning about, then they will. And the best way to, if you want some qualities and someone to change, the best way for that to happen is just to be the change, as Gandhi said. You know, so I think it's very easy to overcomplicate these things sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, relationships are very complex. But the foundation is very simple. They're also our greatest mirror, right? So I'm curious in your relationship with Melissa, how did that come up for you? Like what what do you feel like was the biggest thing you learned about yourself? Honestly, I think that's like a daily thing for me. Yeah. You know, like she's Melissa is a very shiny mirror. <laughs> like she's super shiny. Um because she's the sort of person who shows up constantly. Mm -hmm. You know, I sent her a message yesterday just acknowledging her for how in awe I am of the way she continues to show up for herself, for her audience, for for her work. Her consistency is unbelievable. That is a pitta constitution. My vata takes me off in other areas sometimes. Like that's the, the airy, fairy side of me. Um, but her determination to to be of service to her audience is just incredible. But her determination to to grow and evolve is incredible. The amount of work she does on herself. I mean, right now she's at a yoga class, you know. Um, so she's very shiny. And I would say at the moment, there are a couple of things in my own life which um, I'm wanting to transcend. And they're things that she has transcended. So she's shining a very big spotlight on those things for me right now. She's not saying anything, just her being in my presence means I can't escape the fact that I haven't transcended those things, right? Um, so I wouldn't say there's one thing. It's a constant thing. And then for, for her, I also play the same role mm -hmm. in lots of different ways. Um, I have a level of creativity that she never, she may never have. It's just mm -hmm. maybe not her path. Um, so I can inspire her in that way as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a constant, constant evolution for sure. Yeah, I also I wanted to talk to you also about um 
balancing your masculine and feminine energies like within yourself and in the relationship and how that plays out for you? I think first of all, it's having an understanding of what that is and doing the work around that. I think there are some some key books people can read that can just give you that quick start. You know, a bit of a guide as to the essence of who you are, right? I honestly felt like I was flying blind in life until I read The Way of the Superior Man. I honestly don't know how, well, I didn't actually really get through life very well without that sort of information, that understanding. Because in my previous relationship, my previous marriage, I I didn't understand this stuff. I couldn't recognize what the feminine was crying out for, and I didn't give it what was needed at the time. So, I mean, it's all perfect. Things ended up the way they were supposed to be, but um. There were some very, very simple things happening, which to me is like kindergarten now, which I didn't even know, right? So I think, first of all, educating yourself. So a great book for women might be Dear Lover by David Dieter, but also reading The Way of the Superior Man by David Dieter can give you the, you know, the opposite perspectives and a deep understanding of that information. Um, for me, how it plays out, a lot of it came down to my own personal, like my sex life was truly embodying the masculine in my intimate life. That that changed a lot for me. I recognized there was a place in intimacy where the masculine can be of such service to the feminine because the masculine, if you look at it as masculine being a flagpole, feminine being the flag that goes around the flagpole, the masculine is, is strong, firm, and directional. The feminine is softer and more flowing. Of course, you as a woman have both, right? You'll have and your own balance, and then your best friend might have a different balance. But Melissa's a very feminine woman. So for us, the intimacy is very important because that actually grounds her, right? It grounds her a lot. Um, when I changed my intimacy from being um, something where I got something, like oh, I took something and became more of service to the feminine, I realized that I got way more by being of service. When I say of service, I talk about truly allowing the feminine to express themselves in that moment and not having a need for me personally to, because for men especially, there is this lack of understanding generally around the difference between orgasm and ejaculation and believing that they are actually connected when they're not. Can you expand more on that? So ejaculation um, really is meant for one reason, (laughs) is to make babies, right? It's for life. And it's a process which takes an awful lot of energy. So for someone like me, again, Vata Pitta, I have to be mindful of my reserves. So if I go and ejaculate four times in a month, which probably is not very much for many people, um, I'm dead set and I'm drained. Right. But if you spoke to a kaffa man or a kaffa pizza who's got these reserves, it probably wouldn't even notice it. But it still is, there's something about the ejaculation process for men, which is surrendering an awful lot of power. Like you're just literally taking the very essence of you and just spitting it out into the world. Right. When you learn through Taoist or tantric practices, the practice of semen retention, um, it's not just about the act of, re- of retaining, it's the act of circulating that energy. Because rather than just letting it all out through the body, which 
again, it can be very therapeutic and beautiful as well. But when you learn to more regularly cultivate that energy, it's that yang energy is very, very healing and very strong. And you can circulate through your whole body for a whole different um, host of benefits. But what happens with lovemaking is that when you are man and woman together, I'm talking from a heterosexual relationship, that's what I know. Um, the feminine can literally draw that young that young essence up to balance out the yin energy, which is really important. And it takes practice for the man to get to that place, um, and initially a lot of willpower because there's a lot of satisfaction in just ejaculating. But when you experience the benefits of Retention, I call it conscious ejaculation. You're making a conscious choose when and not when to ejaculate and when not to ejaculate. When you harvest that energy within yourself and you experience what it's like to hold space for the feminine and then receive, truly receive her yin, which balances out your yang, it becomes a godly experience. And within that, a lot of healing can take place. So, you know, every relationship's different. Everyone has a different sort of appetite for sex. Um, but if you want more love in your relationship, you have to make love. You just have to. There's one thing you can do in your romantic relationship that you don't do with anyone else unless you're in an open relationship, and that is you make love. No one else gets to do that. There's a reason why that's sacred, right? It's your, it's the thing that binds you together. Love, intimacy, or intimacy in particular is the glue that binds you together as a relationship. You have Love as a foundation, or even actually before that, you have core values as a foundation. Love is the bricks and intimacy is the cement. And without that, the house falls apart. So, you know, I think sex is something which just doesn't get spoken about enough. We'll do it to some level, whether it's on our own or with a partner, we're all doing something. And yet we shy away from the topic when we should all be embracing it with such openness and really coming to understand the power of intimacy in a relationship. When Melissa and I are a bit off, it's because we haven't made love. It's Mm -hmm. pretty much that's it. Yeah. And I mean, I totally agree that more people should talk about it. And I really appreciate how open you and Melissa are about that side of things, because I think it's bringing a lot more awareness to different people. For, for you, how has that been being so open about your sex life publicly? Well, I think for me, because it's been such a, a pivotal change in my life, like I'd gone through various relationships and hadn't really got to experience or, or put into practice the things that I was learning and I felt passionate about. Um, there's some amazing books out there if you want to go deep into it. Um, any, any work by Mantak Chir is fantastic, which is all Taoist. Um, Dow spelt with a T, just in case you're looking it up on Google. Um, the multi orgasmic man, the multi orgasmic woman, the multi orgasmic couple, those three books are like a really, you know, solid handbook for how to start to develop some of these things. But for me personally, I've always felt more comfortable being vulnerable than not vulnerable. Um, I think maybe it comes through maybe being a musician because you're always vulnerable as a musician. Um, and I don't know whether I felt like it's a duty or what, but I just naturally, my conversations naturally drift there a lot of the time with friends, you know, or 
someone I've met for the first time, we can naturally drift into into talk about sex and intimacy. And I don't know. I don't think I've got a point to prove or anything like that. I just feel like um, it's changed my life. Mm. As a man, it's changed my life to be to go from a man who didn't know what it was to to be full service to feminine or to himself to then all of a sudden find this like amazing masculine power within himself that was just there all the time. I didn't know how to tap into it. I didn't have the tools. And all of a sudden to have it and to see the impact that has on your life, your relationship, it's like, it's like alchemy, right? How can we not share this thing which is, has the power to transform you on so many levels? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a, there's a boundary. Melissa has a, a, a tighter boundary than I do. So she pulls me back a lot when I'm speaking about this stuff. <laughs> um, things get edited out. But, um, you know, she has a certain boundary where, you know, she's willing to go up to, but she doesn't cross it. She holds mm. certain things sacred. I mean, I definitely relate to that. It's much easier for me to be vulnerable than not. Um, and so I think for the for those of us for whom that's very natural, it's important that we we talk about things. Right. For the people who are uncomfortable talking about those kinds of things. And I think for people who are worried about speaking out about their experiences or what's been helping them, you know, I really just think it's of disservice to everyone else when you, you know, something you've experienced, something that has transformed your life in a positive way and you don't talk about it. Mm. Right. Um, you know, and I just think vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So I really appreciate you guys just talking about everything and laying it out there and showing your perspective. And my last question for you would just be with your relationship besides the intimacy, the physical intimacy side of things, what do you feel like makes your relationship with Melissa so strong? I think there's quite a few elements to that. Um, as I said, when we first met, we, we truly got to see who we were and the attraction was built upon that foundation of I was attracted to who she was. She's obviously a, a very beautiful, physically very beautiful woman as well. Um, but that wasn't the attraction for me. The attraction was her, the essence of her, which meant that we had a core set of values that we are incredibly line, aligned across. That is our foundation. So if things get a bit hairy sometimes and out of alignment, we can always come back to those core alignments. Sorry, those core values. It's also built on a huge amount of respect. Um, we respect each other a lot. Um, we obviously love each other. There is a, an intense amount of in loveness for each other. Um, and then, of course, knowing some of these basic tools around um, projection when I'm projecting my stuff onto her or the concept of the shiny mirror, um, crystal clear communication, as she calls it, CCC. Um, very, very important. Knowing how to talk and communicate from the heart instead of the head. You, you develop these tools that become your GPS system through some tricky times because it's not always easy, but a lot of the time it's amazing as well. Um, and we're not perfect. Like we're not, we don't always pull these tools out at the perfect time and communicate perfectly. Like we just don't. I communicated really poorly with Melissa yesterday because I was feeling really frustrated with something in my life. And I just, you know, 
I used her as a bit of a a battering ram. As it wasn't not a battering ram, as a punching bag. Sorry, which was unfair of me. That's not what our partners are there for. It's easy to slip into that because they're the most understanding person in our life. Um, so me recognizing straight away, whoops, that's not that's not her role, and apologizing very quickly. We've also learned to move on from things quickly. We don't hold on to stuff anymore. Um, she speaks about this in Open Wide, the idea of nothing good comes from closing. It's honestly, in relationships, one of the most powerful things you could ever, ever learn is nothing good comes from closing. The minute you close down to your partner, there ain't nothing good coming from that. Nothing, right? Ever. Whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a family, nothing good comes from closing. Sometimes you can create a boundary, a safe boundary, if someone's overstepping a mark. We've created boundaries at times with people in our lives who have no longer served us and have become, you know, unhealthy. And that sometimes is needed. But closing is a different idea. So when I close off to Melissa, I'm literally just delaying getting back to the truth of who we are, which is two people who love and respect each other. Mm. That's very important. That definitely resonates. And I think I'm sure a lot of people listening are thinking like of how that shows up in their own lives. and. If anyone's listening wants more on TCC, as you call it, definitely listen to my episode with Melissa because she talks mm. all about that. Um, awesome. I think that's beautiful. That's a great way to end it. Thank you so much. I have so enjoyed this conversation with you and really appreciate your time. And I'm sure everyone is going to want to get more from you and listen to your music. So can you just remind everyone where they can find you? Yeah. So um, Spotify, Apple Music. Amazon, Deezer, wherever you listen to music, just search for my name, Nick Broadhurst. I have a new single out called Breathe, um, which I'm really proud of. I really love. It's one of those songs I love listening to myself, um, whereas some other songs I sort of cringe when I listen to them now, which is interesting. Um, but this one I really, really love. So check out Breathe. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Nick Broadhurst. My website is IamNickBroadhurst.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nick. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you again so much to Nick for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to hear what you thought. Make sure you post it in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. And if you want to connect further with Nick, don't forget you can find him on Instagram at I am Nick Broadhurst and on his website, IamNickBroadhurst.com. And make sure you search his music on Spotify and SoundCloud and YouTube. Just search Nick Broadhurst and it will pop right up. Don't forget if you want access to exclusive juicy behind the scenes content related to this podcast and my life, you will definitely want to be following my private Instagram account. It's called Wellness Realness Crew. All you have to do to gain access to that account is DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review for this podcast to that account, request to follow. And when I get that screenshot in, I will accept your request and you have access to the page. So pretty simple. Don't forget to enter this month's giveaway for a pair of blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses. They're incredible and will totally change your life. That will be running until the end of May 2020. That's going to be it for today's show. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Have an amazing rest of your day and I will chat with you again soon. Bye.